When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Well, welcome to Friday. Um, kind of a weird week this week. The goings-on in Europe are enough to rattle anybody, and it certainly did rattle the investment markets around the world. But, as we've said before, events like this are not something you can react to. You can't do anything about them. And the reality is everything tends to work out eventually. We don't know what eventually means. You don't either. No matter how smart you think you are, you don't. Nobody knows what eventually means. However, in this case, after a couple of bad days, so far, at least on Friday, when when I'm recording this, um, wow, I mean, I'm looking at all the markets and they all look like they're back up substantially. I mean, it's not back to where it was at the beginning of the year, but everything we lost over the past couple of days overseas and in the U.S. is uh, has been pretty much recovered, at least as of now. But that doesn't mean anything. That's why we try not to maintain a short-term focus. Trust me, you don't know what's going to happen. Oh, I'm sure you have feelings about it and opinions, but you don't know what's going to happen. And you need to keep telling yourself this most important of facts. The global economy is bigger than you can possibly imagine. Each of our individual little brains are not capable of fathoming all of the little intricacies of global economics and global markets. We're not. So don't think you can get this. Oh, I know what's going to happen. No, you don't. You don't know what's going to happen. And that's why we say over and over and over and over and over again the same words. It is critical that you start with the right investment portfolio for your situation, not for what you think might happen in the future because you don't know You won't know. You can't know. It's impossible to know. There's no knowing. No, 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 knowing, no knowing. No, no. Say no, no to no knowing. Or say yes, yes to no knowing. Yeah, it would be say no, no to knowing. Uh, So just chill. Chill. It's okay. I'm whispering now. It's okay. You know, you can hardly hear that. Um, So today, today's Q&A day, as normal. We're just going to go about things normally. Uh, I've got a ton of questions. I'm going to try. Here's my goal. I'm going to try and get through eight today. So the best thing we can do right now is get started. Our phone number, if you want to call with questions, is 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. You can also use that number on Saturdays to join us in active conversation where we speak with one another We do a show in the Seattle, Washington area, and you, wherever you are, 
in the country can call us at that same number, 855-935-TALK, Saturdays between 3 and 5 Eastern Time, noon and 2 Pacific Time. And we will be talking a bit about the uh, the war in Ukraine. And you're going to hear a lot of the same things, but it's reinforcement. We're big believers in reinforcement. I know. We don't have anything new to say. We get that. It's the same old thing all the time. But to do anything else would be to both lie and pander to you. So let's get some questions answered, shall we? Starting with a phone call. Hi, Don and Tom. This is Rob in Florida, and I have a question about Roth TSP. Is it possible to withdraw Roth TSP contributions similar to those of a Roth IRA? If not, can this be done after a rollover, after separation or retirement from the military? Or can they never be touched until 59 and a half because they are retirement accounts? Just some context on why I'm asking. I'm looking at some potential options to bridge for a few years from, say, ages 55 to 59 and a half prior to being able to meet the uh, full eligibility to withdraw from my various retirement accounts. This would also assume some sort of pension to help with uh, expenses in between. Thank you for taking the time. Well, Rob from Florida, I think you're going to need to go with plan B for your early retirement. Because if you take money out of any IRA, 401k, Roth, TSP, you're still going to be subject to the 10% penalty if you take it out prior to age 59 and a half. And that's a pretty big hit that I'd rather not take. I think the better plan is if you do need to retire early, the, the best course of action is to make sure you have another pool of capital from which you can withdraw to cover the income over that period. And that means an account outside of your TSP, your 401ks, your IRAs, your 403bs, your 450, all of these things. So um, I, I think that's a better plan. But no, if you take it out of your Roth TSP before 59 and a half, you will have to pay the government 10%. Thanks for your call. And uh, actually, that wasn't a call. <laughs> Came in through TalkingRealMoney.com. That was actually somebody who went to TalkingRealMoney.com, hit the contact button, and recorded the question, which we love. We really prefer those to phone calls, but you can use either way. We don't mind, which we give you choices. So here's another one that came in through TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, Tom and Don. I'm a big fan and have been listening since last summer. I had a question kind of about rebalancing. I'm Daniel. I'm 42, and my wife is 39, and we live in Texas. We have a long time horizon until retirement, and we expect to stay 100% in equities at least until I'm 50. Right now, we max our retirement accounts and we have brokerage accounts. We have about 560K in investments with all but 20K in qualified retirement accounts, 50-50 Roth and traditional. The bulk of the investments are in my 401k. I ran our asset allocation and 85% of our funds are in S&P 500 index funds with the rest in international and total U.S. markets. We'd like to get more small cap and emerging markets exposure. We hear you talk a lot about AVUV, for example. Our 401k moved from Wells Fargo to principal, but we still have Vanguard index funds to choose from. We can choose Vanguard large cap, medium cap, and small cap U.S. index funds. The tickers are VINIX, VMCIX, and VSCIX, respectively. My question is about rebalancing for this shift in our strategy. They say you shouldn't react to the market and move money, and more money is lost by making changes. 
but seeing Facebook drop 20% caused a disproportionate drop in our assets due to large cap exposure, and we'd like to get more diversification out of the S&P 500 and possibly get better returns from tapping small cap like yourselves and Paul Merriman recommend. So my question really is about timing. When is the right time to make this change? If we want to move to 15% small and emerging, how do we do that? Do you do it all at once or gradually over time? Change our future investments but leave current investments as is? Is now a good time despite Facebook having dropped so much? How do we rebalance correctly without effectively timing the market? I appreciate your feedback. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Daniel. (laughs) The question is an interesting one because technically rebalancing is the antithesis of timing the market. It's the opposite because you do things automatically when it comes to rebalancing. But you have a portfolio that has never been properly balanced. So you're not going to be timing the market. You're just going to get to where you should have been all along. You shouldn't have. And you know that now, after seeing what happened to some of the big S&P 500 companies, you should never have had 85% of your equity portfolio in the S&P 500. You've fallen for the for the standard traditional way of thinking that the S&P 500 is the market. It is as far, it's far from the market. You get end up being overweighted in a few very big companies without diversification. And that's where, where the, the whole concept of factors and uh, the like come into play. Because if you factor invest, if you overweight small, for example, if you overweight value, if you overweight emerging, if you add more international, what you're doing is you're spreading that risk over a bigger universe and more equitably, really. Because you don't want to spread it around just based on market cap. Yeah, that's going to be a part of it. But you, you need all these little factors. And to build the right portfolio, well, you know, that would require me to sit down with you for quite some time to get the right pieces in the right places. But you understand the need to do this. But let me just tell you basically what you need. You need first to get the equity portion of the portfolio, half U.S. and half international. If you don't like that, at most, no more than 60 U.S., 40 international. Of those chunks of the pie, you probably need to have of that 60% of maybe 40, or sorry, 20% of that in small cap with overweighting value. You probably need 10% so of emerging markets in both cases. You might want to even have a little real estate since they're in tax deferred accounts, but you need to diversify across asset classes and you need to do that soon. Because as you know, you're way overweighted already. Had you not been, uh, you would have done a little bit better recently. But, you know, long term, you did very well being overweighted into the S&P 500. We don't play with this past performance game. So the the thing is to start doing it now, to start moving into those funds. And again, it should be 50-50 U.S. international. You should overweight by buying small cap and value funds. If you don't have a small cap value, then just small cap. And if you have an emerging markets, that's great. Do that. If you have a real estate fund and and stick with, since your plan is with Vanguard, hallelujah, stick with Vanguard products. Thank you so much for the call. I appreciate it. But get it done now. It's not timing. Don't you're, When you worry about what Facebook might or might not do, you are market timing. Quit thinking about it. Just do it. Uh, now we're going to take a call that came in from 855-935-8255. 855-935-TALK. Well, hello, Don and Tom. Uh, This is John. I'm calling from Muskego, Wisconsin. 
I've been a longtime listener of Clark Howard, and I've been listening to your show for about six months. Um, really enjoy, enjoy your show and, uh, and the great wisdom that you impart to all of us. My question concerns Fidelity ETFs. I am 65 years old. I started saving at age 25, and I have about $2 million in IRA and 401k funds all in uh, with Fidelity. Uh, they are all in mutual funds and target date funds uh, with about a 70-30 equity to bond mix. And I'm interested, I've heard you talk a lot about ETFs and am interested in moving some of my funds from uh, the mutual funds into ETFs. And I was wondering if you could give me your recommendations on Fidelity's ETFs and if there's any uh, broad-based fund that you would recommend um, uh, for a guy who wants to start using the money probably after age 70. I appreciate it very much. And again, love your show and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. Bye. You've done a very good job saving. You're doing really well. You're in good. You're in a good group. I don't know which funds specifically you have or what your portfolio looks at, which makes giving you any kind of specific suggestions almost impossible. Um, because I really need to see what you have, how how well things are already covered. You really aren't going to get any big advantage, given that all of this money is in. Uh, tax-advantaged accounts, you're not going to get much advantage from moving to ETFs. If you have really, really, really good diversification in your portfolio already, there may be no need. In fact, there may, there probably is no need because if you're in Fidelity index funds and Fidelity's good target date funds, their fee structure is very fair, very, very reasonable, low as a matter of fact. So I just don't see what the benefit would be. You don't have any taxable events occurring there. So if they distribute capital gains, it doesn't matter. That's the, one of the biggest reasons for owning ETFs is if you have a non-taxable account. So I don't think I'd worry about it. I mean, you might want to just make sure you go through your portfolio. And as I told the previous caller, make sure you're properly diversified between U.S. and international, that you've overweighted a little small cap and value if you'd like, and uh, that you're in short to intermediate term bonds in the fixed income portion. You're not playing any games with that. But otherwise, I don't see the advantage to ETFs. But thank you so much for the call and thank you for listening. Again, the number, 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Here's another one. Hi, this is Tom from Texas. I heard your show today. I think it was recording from a couple of days ago. Uh, and you mentioned the IBTB fund. And you said it was uh, yield, going to yield to maturity at the end of this year, uh, 0.75 or something about that. I looked that up um, on ETF.com. It said the yield to maturity was 0.15%. Yahoo says its yield is 0.36%. iShares website says its 30-day yield is 0.44%, and that its underlying portfolio yield to maturity is 0.66%. So if you could explain the discrepancies between all these numbers, um, that sure would be great to uh, hopefully me and a lot of others. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Tom in Texas. IBTB. Okay. Let's first start with IBTB is the iShares iBond ETF. These are designed 
for uh, laddering purposes, for laddering portfolios of bonds. The IBTB expires. It ends in the end of 2022. They pay off the shareholders at the end of 2022 based on what the net asset value is at that time, what the bonds are worth, basically, um, the, what's in the portfolio. The yields, <laughs> the yields vary depending on how you're measuring them. There's the 30-day SEC yield. There's the immediate yield. There's the yield to maturity. And that's why you're getting all of these conflicting numbers. And those numbers change every day. Uh, not every day. Every minute of every day, practically. They are always changing. So you're going to get different numbers. But you're going to get different numbers, too, depending on um, uh, which one you're looking at. For example, uh, the 12-month yield on that, according to Morningstar now, is 0.08. The SEC yield is 0.26. Now, that's as of this moment when I'm speaking to you. The um, the yield to maturity, last time I looked, and I'm not looking at it right now because I don't have that number immediately available to me, but the yield to maturity was at that, about that six-tenths or 0.55%. Because if you if in the time that you own it, if you're looking at the price day-to-day, -day, the price is going to fluctuate all over the place, and the yield will fluctuate depending on when you bought in. But if you buy in at a set date, your yield to maturity is going to be that yield to maturity from that date because your net asset value is going to either rise or fall depending on what bonds have done in the interim. So not a good number to look at. Again, these are a solution that isn't necessary. Uh, I am totally fine with owning a short intermediate term bond fund with low expenses like those from Vanguard or Fidelity or iShares or Schwab or whomever it might be from. Because you have to remember, if you look back, people are complaining, well, I lost money in my short intermediate term bond fund. Yeah, you did. But have you looked at what your yield has been doing as interest rates have been slowly rising? If you look, the dis the uh, the yield the distributions have been rising over time and that's the whole trick they're designed having bonds in your portfolio not a thing for yield just a thing for relative not absolute but relative stability thank you for your call and now we're going to go back to another one that came in from talkingrealmoney.com sorry i lean away from the mic to look at my list of where the calls come from okay here we go thanks for the great podcast have a quick question. I used to often listen to the old Bob Brinker show. I understand he's retired from radio now, but he still does his newsletter called Market Timer, and he claimed that he could time the market and could give people signals as to when they could get out of the market and when to get back in, et cetera. Was he really able to do that? And what did you think of his show? Ah, uh, Bob Brinker. Bob, Bob has always – funny, Bob and I – started in the radio advice industry at about the same time. I had a newsletter that was not market timing, really. It was picking, but not timing. His has been about timing, signals to get in, signals to get out. Uh, every time I re have read about Bob Brinker's market timer calls, and uh, there have been a number of folks who track him, including Mark Hulbert, who uh, I've, I've worked with several times, Bob always comes out right about in the middle of the pack. His performance has always been very average. 
The only numbers I can get right now are five-year, the most recent five-year numbers, and these come from Mark Holbert. And he shows Bob's equity portfolio returning on average over the past five years about 15%, just a smidge over 15%. And that means you've been buying and selling along the way. You've had some taxable events. You've had some commissions and charges and the like. Uh, It's a complicated process. Is it worth it? Well, Bob tends to lean toward U.S. larger company stocks. So let's compare that to the S&P 500, which over that same time frame has averaged about 14.7% per year just owning the 500 biggest companies. You see, he's very average. Very average. He's had periods when he's done badly. He's had periods when he's done very well. Kind of like the market itself. I don't believe that there is anyone anywhere who has a consistently accurate signal as to when to buy or sell. And the funny thing is, is that uh, Mark Hulbert, who has a newsletter that follows the performance of market timing newsletters. uh, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on the name. Let me pull it right back up. Uh, Hulbert, Hulbert, Hulbert Financial Digest. That's it. Gosh. Uh, Mark Hulbert's been following these things for decades. I've had him on the show many, many times in the past, my show. And every single time, he says over and over and over again, there is no evidence, zero evidence, that anybody can consistently and accurately predict the market. So why bother? And now let's take yet another that came in from TalkingRealMoney.com. Hey, Don and Tom. This is Jason from Nashville. I had a question about bond funds in a portfolio. If someone has a long time horizon and they also understand that bonds are to reduce volatility in a portfolio, which bond fund would you choose, a short-term bond fund or an intermediate-term bond fund, and why? Thanks for all that you guys do. Love the show. Bye. Bond funds. Well, as I mentioned just a little while ago, uh, I believe in... I believe in actually splitting the difference. Uh, I think that you should probably own either a short intermediate bond fund or short and intermediate, a little bit of both. I would lean most of the time. I'm going to lean more heavily toward treasuries because of the fact that these are designed for security. Although high-grade corporates, if you have a well-diversified portfolio that has some high-grade corporate bond funds in it, the duration of the portfolio should probably be right around the four- to six-year mark. If you're a little bit more aggressive, out toward the six-ish. But uh, never long-term bonds. And I don't think I would go with just one maturity either because I want to have that ability to start increasing my interest rate, my earnings, if rates rise. Because when rates rise, the value of my bonds are going to fall. Short-term bonds are going to get quickly replaced by new higher-yielding bonds and gradually start kicking up that portfolio. The intermediate-term bonds will not start maturing until you know maybe two, three, four, five years down the road. There's going to be longer maturities on those. So uh, I'd have both. 
I'm a big believer in splitting the difference. And let's see, are we still going? Yes, we are. We're still going to another question that came in from TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, Tom and Don. This is Scott in Ohio. Um, want to let you know I love your show. I, I like the combination that you guys have of your levity, your brutal honesty, and your analytical approach, common sense approach to retirement planning or investing. Um, I have been trying to apply your principles and your uh, strategy, uh, especially with regards to market timing versus rebalancing. It's a little hard for me to see the difference. But when it comes to rebalancing, is it best to rebalance as much as possible when adding money to my account? In other words, adding money in positions that are down to try to bring them back up to the desired asset allocation and then do that throughout the year as I add money and then rebalance uh, at the end of the year by selling and moving money uh, less than I would otherwise do by just you know putting the money in uh, at a fixed asset allocation throughout the year. So um, keep up the good work. Thanks for what you do. I'm going to hopefully get to my retirement by listening to you guys into your 70s. Thanks. Bye. You have this down. You're doing it. You have the, the perfect idea. As new money comes in, that should, go, should always go into those assets in your portfolio that have been the most battered, that have gone down the most. Not the ones that have gone up, the ones that have gone down the most. Because then, as you just stated so well, when you go do your rebalancing on an annual basis, you will have less money to move. You will reduce your taxable events because, remember, you're selling winners and buying losers. So you'll be doing a lot less of that, saving yourself both trouble and money. So this is the perfect strategy. Use new money coming in to go into your undervalued assets, those that have gone down the most. That, in our opinion, is the perfect discipline for managing a portfolio. Wow. And I think that's seven. So this one should be one, two, three, four. Yeah, this next one should be eight. This one's a phone call that comes in from 855-935-8255, 855-935-TALK. Hey, Tom and Don, it's Craig uh, up in formerly Puyallup up in the mountains now outside of Seattle living the dream. Um, met with Taylor a couple of weeks ago and, and got to say hi to, to Tom as well. And so um, he has a pretty good idea of my kind of financial situation and what I'm working through. But um, so I'm pretty heavily weighted toward value, uh, mostly small cap value um, in AVUV and uh, RZV. And, uh, my second largest holding is large cap value and everything I, all the exposure I have in large cap value is in BTV. Uh, I'm looking to expand that and diversify, have more exposure to large cap value, but not just put more into BTV. And I'm really wondering what the factors or what the considerations I should be looking at. Is it just diversification? Is it number of holdings? Is it amount of money? Is it P? What are the things that you would look at the most to determine what other index fund to look at? I'm looking at Invesco's RPV. I'm looking at Spider's SPYV. 
I'm looking at Vanguard's VONB, of which 98% of BTB is already in that, so that would be doubling up there, but also a lot more diversification. And then also looking at VYM, which is large cap value and it's their high dividend side. And I'm really just looking at, at what I should be weighing out to make that decision and thought you guys would uh, be able to give me some insight there. Uh, love the show. Uh, hope to someday meet you in person as well. And, and Tom was great seeing you a couple of weeks ago. And Taylor's a rock star, by the way. So anyway, thanks a lot. I appreciate the time. So, Craig, do you have a lot of time on your hands up there in the mountains? It's just kind of feeling that way. Yours is a perfect example of really overthinking this. You're overthinking. Um, you don't need massive numbers of value mutual funds um, or ETFs in this case. I think you're just, you know, you have AVUV, which is small cap value. That's great. It's a very aggressive fund. Um, I would not own a an Invesco fund on a bet, even their ETFs. Look at the expense ratio. You go, the, the, the Vanguard Russell 1000 value fund, the VO, I don't want to get into all these, all the, the tickers, but that VONV you were looking at, that's massively diversified. Better diversification than the, uh, the 600 index or the 500 index products you're looking at. And yet it includes the 500 or the 600 already in it. You don't need multiple funds. There is no advantage in having a lot of different funds at a lot of different groups. There's no advantage, not when you're dealing with indexes. I guess with active management, maybe, but we don't believe in that. So you're just you're chasing your tail here. Uh, bear in mind, the Russell 1000 index ETF, the VONV, has an expense ratio of 0.08%, eight basis points. The Invesco fund is 35 basis points. It's more than four times higher, which is not good. And it's not giving you any advantage because it's an index product. Index products only compete on price. So you want the cheapest. You do. You want the cheapest. And you don't need any more than two U.S. index funds. The Russell 1000 would be perfect. And then the AVUV, which is more aggressive, that's going to cover pretty much all of the universe of value stocks in the United States. Now, if you're not doing international, I'm not even going to start there. <laughs> you might want to do international value too, but uh, don't overthink this. You don't, you need U.S. international, overweighting into value, overweighting into small, having some emerging markets because most developed markets port portfolios don't have them, even though that means owning Russia, which it does. Not much, not enough to cause any big problems. Uh, but you, you, that's the diversification. You don't need multi-management group diversification. That doesn't matter. doesn't matter if it's through Vanguard or iShares or Spider or Schwab or Fidelity. As long as the fees are low, as about as low as they can go, that's where you should be. Thanks for your call. Don't overthink it. Go outside, have a glass of wine, enjoy the gorgeous view in the summer. Uh, thank you all. I think we did it. I think we got through eight. Yeah, we pretty much got through eight and, uh, that's gonna, that's gonna have to end this one. I hope you have a great weekend or whenever follows you're listening to this and also be sure to join us for live conversation on Saturdays. You can listen to us live from anywhere. Just go to the talking real money website, scroll down the page and you'll see a tune in radio 
button. You can punch that and listen to our show, which airs Saturdays from 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific, then becomes a podcast next week. So thank you. Call us at 855-935-TALK. Send in your questions at TalkingRealMoney.com. If you have a really complex question or a portfolio that needs a look over, you want a second opinion, you want somebody to say, am I doing this right? Is my advisor doing this right? We will give you a second opinion. We will not charge you for that second opinion. We will not push you to become a client. We will not pressure you in any way, shape, manner, or form. Uh, you just go to Vestory.com, V-E-S-T-O-R-Y.com, and set up an appointment with our firm, which is called Vestory by Appella. Uh, we will talk with anyone anywhere in the country. We can't help people outside of the U.S. We, we just can't. We're not even, I don't think we're even allowed to. Uh, we'll, I mean, on the on the program, we'll try, but. Everybody has different financial setups in their countries. All right. I'm I'm good. I'm out of here. Uh, wish you well. Take care. I'm Don McDonald. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time. So please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?